0: What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, and we are kicking off our Week 7 previews this week with the game of the week. So as y'all know, here on the Blue Bloods, especially if you're subscribed, that means y'all need to comment below your score predictions, your predicted winner. If you predict the correct team, And the exact score of the game this weekend, you will win our $50 Venmo giveaway. So make sure to subscribe to the channel, like the video, and comment your score prediction at the end of the video. But we have a huge top 12 SEC matchup down in Athens. College game day returns as the number 11 Kentucky Wildcats head down to Athens to take on the newly crowned number one ranked. Georgia Bulldogs and as you know it, it, this is a top 11 matchup but the Bulldogs are a 23 and a half point favorite right now as this game kicks off at 2 30 p.m central time live on CBS I'll be three thirty eastern time if you're over in Athens now this 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 has such a big role in you know who could come out of the SEC east Florida has two SEC losses already, and you're looking at, you know, the Missouris, the Tennessees, none of those guys really like any contenders, so it's really come down to these two undefeated teams, so the winner takes a commanding lead over, you know, the rest of the SEC East, where they'll have to lose two, three games for anyone else, you know, really jump above them in the standings, so that's probably the biggest storyline, but you look at the Bulldogs, they come into this matchup the newly ranked number one team, Kirby Smart, downplayed it, said it's just a number. And they're coming off their third top 20 win over Auburn and Jordan Hare last weekend. And now the Bulldogs have their sights set on a fourth top 20 win this season. And it's, it, I, for me, it will further establish, you know, the Bulldogs is the best team in the country. And they're going to take control of the SEC in dominant fashion if they can get another you know, huge win. They have dominated every team they faced you know, outside of Clemson in week one, and that really was a domination on the defensive side of the ball. And so for me, Georgia's looking to continue to make a statement, and many people have them tap as the as the favorites to win a national championship this year. Now, on the flip side, the Wildcats come into this game 6-0, find themselves on the cusp of another top-10 run under Mark Stoops, one of my favorite coaches in the country. And, you know, a lot of people are looking at this matchup as the real litmus test for this Wildcat squad. You know, they have the outstanding defense. They have the run game that's been a staple under Stoops in Lexington. They're looking for their second top 10 win of the season, and this could be a program changing win for Kentucky. Where if they get this win, you're talking about them possibly jumping all the way up into the top five with a big win in Athens as 23 and a half point underdogs. They would arguably have the best win in the country of any team in that race for the college football playoff right now. And you look at the history of the series, Georgia's dominated they hold they hold the they held 60 wins to Kentucky's 12 in this series. They're on an 11-game winning streak and the Wildcats have only won two games since 1997, but their last win came in Athens in 2009 when they upset the Bulldogs. So that shows that they anything can happen this weekend, but I want to get into the keys of the game for each of these teams. Now, we'll start out with the number 1 ranked Georgia Bulldogs. And their key is to match that, ru- that that rushing output they had a few weeks ago against Arkansas, you know, grind out a little more efficient day than they had against Auburn this weekend. But they have to match this physical U.K. rushing attack, and they have to turn this game into a slugfest because they should have the advantage in terms of size, physicality, everything like that. So what you want to do is control the ball, keep your defense off the field, and just wear down this Kentucky defense just like you did against Auburn and just like you did against Arkansas these past two weeks in your other top 20 wins. Now, they should have the line of scrimmage advantage, but looking back to last week, the Bulldogs stuck with the run. They grinded out a solid game against the Tigers, but I expect to see the Bulldogs lean early and often you know, on the run against the Wildcats this weekend. They're averaging almost 200 yards on the ground per game, over two touchdowns per game averaging on the ground for the season. And it all starts with Zamir White, 350 on the ground, six rushing touchdowns and over five yards per carry. Milton's doing his thing, 210 rushing touchdown, and James Cook has been the most explosive option with 245, over six yards per carry and two rushing touchdowns. The you know the guy that we don't know about Kenny McIntosh saw limited action on special teams last week. You know, Kirby Smart said he's kind of battling at some hamstring tightness, possibly a hamstring injury. So he could be held out to avoid injury, but you know, we might see him if he's absolutely needed, but expect a heavy dose of Milton, Cook, and Zamir White in the backfield for the Bulldogs this weekend. And looking at the rushing attack, they've shown a solid ab- ability to rush off the edge of this offensive line off tackle outside the tight end spot, and teams have failed to really establish themselves in setting the edge and finding ways to win that one-on-one battle on the outside of the line of scrimmage rushing off the edge the Bulldogs rush for over 600 yards over 6 yards per carry five touchdowns over 35 first downs and 19 y- 19 runs over 10 or more yards over their first six games they found a bit more success in the a gap as well but their weakness for some reason has been running behind the guards in that b with less with that in that b gap with less than 3 yards per carry so the Wildcats have to try to funnel this rushing attack in the inside because that's where they're going to have the best shot to slow down this Georgia rushing attack. But if Georgia is able to seal the edge and get outside and let their athletes go make plays in space, it could be a long day for this Wildcats defense. And that's exactly what Georgia wants to do is establish their will and control the time of possession and just grind out another dominant win. It doesn't have to be spectacular. They don't have to put up, you know, five, 600 yards of so total offense. They're going to run the ball. They're going to outman you. They're going to play more physical than you. And they're going to get out with the W. And it has just been a recipe for success for the Bulldogs all season long. Now, Kirby Smart said today, JT Daniels has improved week after week and he's in a really great spot, but he would not entertain any questions about hypotheticals on who would start between Daniels and Stetson Bennett. But if I had to guess right now, you know, we record our previews pretty early, so a lot can happen between, you know, Tuesday when this drops and Saturday when this game kicks off. But I'm assuming that. The Bulldogs are going to want to save Daniels if they can. They probably want him to be as as healthy as possible before they bring him back so they can have him for the stretch run late in the season. Bennett's been playing well, so why not let Bennett take the first snaps and just keep Daniels as an emergency option? Let him become, you know, extremely healthy for when you have to get into those SEC championship games, the college ball playoff games, things like that. So I would expect Stetson Bennett right now on Tuesday – to probably get the start for the Bulldogs this weekend. And I don't think many people understand or have given enough credit to how well Stetson Bennett has played this season. Really and truly, he was the star of, of in that Auburn game in Jordan-Hare. And when the run game at Tom's was a little bit lackluster, he stepped up and made plays not only with his legs but downfield through the air. For the season, completing just under 70% of his passes, over 700 yards. He's averaging 12 yards a pass, eight touchdowns, two picks, and has almost a 90 PFF offensive grade, which is one of the better ones in the country. Now, an underrated aspect of his game has been the deep ball. He has been so efficient throwing the ball down the field over a 92 passing grade on passes, 20-plus yards down the field, 300 yards, three touchdowns, and he's completing them at a 66% clip. That is so efficient for deep downfield passes where a lot can happen. Just a slight overthrow can really affect the timing. And he has just been on point over 33 yards per attempt. And that shows that he is ready to take the top off of any defense if they load the box and he gets a favorable one-on-one matchup on the outside. That is something that to watch all game long. If Kentucky cannot get pressure on Bennett and speed him up, he's going to take advantage of a loaded box every single time, and he's going to go make plays down the field as you load the box to try to stop the run. Kentucky's defense has to play physical. They have to play smart, and they cannot allow explosive chunk plays because when Georgia – and they're already great at just driving the ball bit by bit down the field. If you also allow them to put points on the board with explosive plays, they're going to put a lot of points up very quickly and things could get out of hand because it's very hard to try to respond against this Georgia defense. The lower scoring this game is the better it is for Kentucky. But once Georgia gets up over 20 points, it's going to be a tough climb and it's going to be a damn near impossible task against this Georgia team. Now, The key for the Wildcats, man, it's obvious. The rushing attack is a staple of this team, and the Wildcats are going to have to run the ball because Levis has not shown that he can carry this offense without the help of the rushing attack, and everything in this offense is built off of a strong rushing attack. The problem is, you know, Coach O last week said he was shocked at how well Kentucky ran the ball, which was just outrageous to me because everyone coming in – knew Kentucky was running the ball. I don't think Kirby Smart is going to be as surprised as Coach O was last week that Kentucky is going to try to run the ball. And it's so much easier said than done to run the ball on this Georgia team, only allowing 66 yards per game on the ground. So – Much easier said than done, but the Wildcats have a top 25 rushing attack in the country, averaging over 200 yards per game on the ground, and it starts with Chris Rodriguez, who's a top five rusher in the country right now, and the Wildcats are going to have to do the impossible and try to impose their will on this game. They're going to have to control the time of possession, keep themselves in third and manageable, and and get, and, get that box loaded where Levis can take some shots in that secondary, but man, Georgia has done such a great job of stopping that they're only allowing two yards per rush this season. So something has to give. Like I said, the rushing game: Rodriguez over seven hundred and sixty yards rushing, over six and a half yards per carry, six rushing touchdowns. Cavali smoked two fifty three over five yards per carry and a touchdown. Those guys are going to have to be spectacular and have one of their best games of the season if the Wildcats expect expect to pull this one off. Now, Levis is going to have to be dynamic with his legs as well. That's something that Jefferson and Bo Nix last week really failed to do over the past two games. He has almost he has three touchdowns with almost 200 yards rushing, averaging over four yards per carry. When things break down, he's going to have to turn those potential big losses into small gains, and or live to see another down. And the number one thing, he cannot turn the ball over. You have to protect the ball if you're Will Levis, and you cannot give this Georgia defense or just Georgia offense, you know, great field position and extra possessions. Because what's going to happen? That's the quickest way to get your defense worn down, and Georgia's going to run away with this one. But the Wildcats can't get away from their game plan. It is going to be difficult to run the ball. I understand that, but you have to try to do it. Auburn and Arkansas are run-first teams, and they both ran the ball less than 30 times against the Bulldogs, which is far below the average for both of these teams. Kentucky cannot fall prey to the same pitfalls that those two teams. You have to learn from the mistakes, and you have to. You have to run the football and try to establish your gameplay. You can't just say, okay, we can't run it early, so now we're just going to get rid of it and we're going to throw it all on Levis because that's the quickest way to get run out of Athens, just like Arkansas did. Now, Levis is going to have to do his part. Like I said, Jefferson and Knicks failed to carry their team But the number one thing, no turnovers, and he's got to have to make some some tough throws this game. I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of wide open, high percentage throws. So Levis is going to have to step up and show that he's developed over these first six games of the season, completing over 64% of his passes, over 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns and six picks. He's really struggled under pressure, though, man. And that's the thing that worries me this weekend is – Under pressure, he has to make controlled and good decisions with the football, even when he's uncomfortable. His completion percentage drops to under forty-one percent. Only one hundred and twenty-one yards for a four-point-two yards per completion average and one pick with a below a fifty-six point four passing grade. When under pressure, that has to improve because you know George is going to get pressure. It's just can you turn? those plays where they get pressure into something, and he cannot choke when he's under pressure. Now, the best part of Levis's game, which is why I think Kentucky could be an interesting matchup, is his ability to counter the blitz. When blitz, he's stoned for over 400 yards, over 10 yards per completion, four touchdowns, and no picks. When a team blitzes against this Wildcats offense, Levis has delivered. That could be something interesting to watch against this extremely, extremely aggressive Bulldogs defense Can Levis make the plays against the Blitz like he has all season long? That's going to be something to watch this weekend. Now, the X factor, and I told you all last week, every time I cover Kentucky, the X factor is going to be Wandell Robinson. He is the epitome of lightning in a bottle and probably is the most athletic, dynamic playmaker that I think the of defense has seen all year. No disrespect to Tank Bigsby or anyone. Clemson has, but this guy is electric. And putting him in space – And allowing him to make plays in the open field could cause some problems for the Georgia defense if he gets some opportunities. He has over 500 yards receiving, four receiving touchdowns, and he's averaging almost 20 yards per carry on his limited attempts. And I really would like to see the Wildcats use him more on kickoff return. He's already the punt returner, but the more touches you can give this guy in open space, the better things can happen. You know Georgia has had special teams touchdowns this season. Why not put your best playmaker back there and hope to see if he can make some plays happen with punt return or kick return this year, I mean, this game. And you've seen it spark so many epic games. Notre Dame used the kickoff return to spark their huge win over Wisconsin. a had a big kick return against Bama to spark that win. If you're Kentucky, you want to put your playmakers in the best position to help you win the games. Giving Wondell Robinson as many touches as possible is the key to this. Now, the matchup's obvious. Georgia's defensive line against Kentucky's offensive line is going to be the matchup to watch. Really, Georgia's front seven against this Kentucky um, offensive line Georgia has this has been the key to Georgia all year they have dominated the line of scrimmage shut down offense after offense through the 2021 season and really made teams just get off rhythm feel uncomfortable and that's why no one has been able to produce on the Georgia defense now Let's give this Kentucky offensive line a bit of credit. They have been the catalyst for one of the most consistent rushing attacks in the country and have protected Levis extremely well this season. Only four sacks allowed, seven total QB hits allowed this season while paving the way from a top, for a top 25 rushing attack at almost 214 yards per game. Almost six, six yards per carry this season and two touchdowns per game on the ground. You look at the trio that's on this offensive line that I think are going to be playing on Sundays very soon. Darian Kennard at tackle, Luke Fortner at guard, and Dare Rosenthal at the offensive tackle, of the LSU transfer, are the big three on this offensive line. You look at Kennard, one of the highest graded O-linemen in the country, over a 90 just overall blocking grade, and has an 85 or higher Run blocking and pass blocking grade this season, and has only allowed two pressures all season. He's going to have to be a force on the edge and try to protect Levis and pave away from this, pave away for this rushing attack. Now Fortner and Rosenthal have only allowed one sack combined and only five total QB hurries this season. While both have a major SEC experience, so they should be up for the task this weekend. The offensive line has to establish some sort of consistency this weekend. They cannot get pushed off the ball, and they have to try to control this Georgia defensive front as best as they can and give Chris Rodriguez and those playmakers some room to go make plays and also let Levis settle into the game. The crowd's going to be loud. The crowd's going to be crazy. They have to limit fall starts and put Arkansas behind the chains too many times so they're going to have to show their maturity and probably have their best game of the season. Now, I don't think there's been a more impressive front seven in the country than what the Bulldogs have brought this season. They've consistently caused chaos for opposing offensive lines, and they've consistently made play after play. You know, and I was looking for stats. So Pro Football Focus lists the Bulldogs with 29 sacks for the season, NCAA and ESPN have them with 22 at, set at number seven in the country. If you use PFS 29 sacks, the Bulldogs are number one in the country in total sacks, and they've generated over 61 pressures in their first few games. So that's the elite production that you see out of this Georgia front seven. N'Kobe Dean at linebacker, that's where it starts. He's the highest graded pass rusher on this team one of the highest-graded coverage guys as well. He's second on the team in total tackles, has five sacks, according to PFF. That leads the team this year, while Adam Anderson has been a force off the edge with four sacks of his own. In my opinion, Dean's been the best defensive player in college football this year. He's so athletic. His speed from sideline to sideline has really brought a whole new level. To this Georgia defense, I think he's even better right now than what Roquan Roquan Smith was in the 2017 season, and he's been the ultimate leader for this Georgia defense. Now, you can't forget Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt. All these guys have played huge roles on this defense and how they've been able to dominate this season Jordan Davis is a freak of nature at his size to be able to move like he has. He caused havoc all not all day long against Arkansas, so look out for him on the inside of this defensive line. The Bulldogs, you know, they use this sort of physicality that many O-line don't know how to handle, and they don't have the ability to handle the physicality that some of these players bring. And when you combine that with some of the elite athleticism they have on the edge and the linebacker, it's a recipe for an all-time great defense in Athens. The Bulldogs don't have to do anything special, man. They just have to defend the run and get after Levis, which they've done all season long. So all they have to do is mimic what they've done over the first six weeks of the season, and the Bulldogs should be able to escape with the win. Now – Official predictions, man. This one was tough. I love Stoops so much, and I root for this Kentucky team as much as I can just because I think it's a great story. I like Mark Stoops, and I think for a program that gets a bad rap for being a basketball only school, they've had a lot of success under Stoops, and it's about time they break through. But I've been vocal since week one. I think Georgia, right now, it, or, or, you know, since really week two after that Clemson win, you know, going into week two, I've said Georgia's probably the best team in the country. They are still the best team in the country. And like I said on our week six recap, they are the number one team in the country by a significant margin. And right now, I just don't see a way Kentucky wins in Athens. If this game was in Lexington, I think it could be completely different. They probably have a much better shot. But in Athens, with all the hype this Georgia program has, with some players coming back at certain positions pretty healthy this weekend, and Georgia has been very optimistic about getting some of those players who have been banged up back. I just think Georgia has too much on the defensive front seven for Kentucky to establish that run game. I think Levis makes one or two mistakes that really gets this game out of hand. But I do think Kentucky scores. I think it's Georgia this weekend 38, Kentucky 13, in Athens this weekend in a huge SEC East matchup. So I got we the- are moving to, uh, in my opinion, one of the most underrated matchups of the weekend – We got the number 19 BYU Cougars traveling down to McLean Stadium to take on the Baylor Bears in what will be a Big 12 matchup in the coming years, but right now it serves as a very, very important non-conference matchup for both of these teams. This game could play such a big role in determining whether BYU can find themselves in the New Year's Six Bowl race, and it could also be interesting to see if Baylor can finally get some respect get in the top 25 and even potentially could challenge for the big 12 moving forward. This week could really be a, a, a big stepping stone for this, for this Dave Aranda led team. Now BYU comes in five and one, man. They had a very tough loss last weekend to Boise state, but they had multiple injuries that really hindered that, the, that team last week. And they're getting a lot of those guys back this week. So don't expect, I don't expect a big hangover from that Boise state game for the Cougars and with the, if they win this game, they get their fourth Power 5 win of the season. They already got wins over three Pac-12 teams, including Arizona State and Utah. And a win here, like I said, will put them right in the thick of things for that New Year's Six Bowl race with the Coastal Carolina, with a potentially a Cincinnati if they don't make the playoffs. So BYU has to keep winning, and last week was a huge setback for them as they found themselves at 10th in the country and then now they drop. They drop back to 19 after that tough loss. So expect a very, very motivated BYU team in McLean Stadium this weekend. Now the Bears also come in at five and one. They're looking to get a huge non-conference win to potentially spark their Big 12 run. They they coming off a big win over West Virginia. They had a loss two weeks ago against Oklahoma State in a very tough ranked uh, Big Ten Big 12 matchup, but. They still have their whole schedule ahead of them. They got they have the TCUs, they have the Oklahomas, they they have the, they have the Texases. So they have they have a way to get back into this Big Twelve race. A win this weekend will put them at six and one and they got the whole world in front of them in terms of making a real run and something special this season. Now even though this is going to be a conference matchup, this will only be the third matchup between Baylor and BYU the series is tied one-to-one the Bears won in Waco in 1983 and BYU won a convincing game in in Provo in 1984 this is this is good this this is going to be a yearly matchup but in terms of historical significance it's only been played twice so this will be the third one live on ESPN at 2:30 p.m central time now the keys to the game man the keys for the Cougars if for me Has to be the rushing attack and getting that aspect of the offense rolling really sets up Jaron Hall to be what he to to be at his best when the run game's going. Hall can be dynamic in the pocket, not you know have to carry the entire offense by himself, and he has the arm potential to beat loaded boxes and work off the play action. So that's where the Cougars are going to throb this weekend. Now, they're, they're averaging over 400 yards of total offense. The rushing attack is at over 160 per game, while the passing attack is averaging over 230 yards through the air. And, it all, and listen, the, the running game is where BYU really, I guess, throbs. Uh, Tyler Algier at the running back spot has been one of the most explosive and consistent running backs in the country for two years now. He was one of the guys that really broke out during the COVID season. He's going to be an X factor for this Cougars team. He has 642 rushing yards. He's averaging over five yards per carry and eight rushing touchdowns already thus far in the season. He's made his living rushing behind the left side of this BYU offensive line. That's where the experience experiences will kind of break down the offensive line later in the episode. But he's done his damage through the A gap and the B gap on that left side. And so that's something to watch is whether that front seven for Baylor can slow down this rushing attack. He's averaging over seven yards per carry rushing in those two gaps on the left side. He has 15 first downs, three touchdowns, and almost 10 rushes of 10 or more yards when running in those gaps behind those big offensive linemen. So that's going to be a key, and that's that's a tendency that Baylor's got to pick up on and try to find a way to slow down Algier in this rushing attack. And on top of that, you cannot forget about Jaron Hall's legs, especially you know as things break down, he gets outside the pocket, because Baylor's going to have to be disciplined in their rushing lanes, and they're going to have to be aware about, you know, Hall's ability to get out of the pocket, make a play out of nothing, because even if you play perfect coverage, if you don't, if you aren't disciplined in the front end of your defense, Hall's going to burn you with his legs. He's averaging over seven yards per carry, has 11 first downs and 10 rushes of 10 or more yards. He's, he's so explosive when he can get out into the open field. And if Hall is dynamic and explosive on Saturday – you know, that's going to go a long way in determining whether BYU can get out of here with a win, a huge road non-conference win for the Cougars. Now, Jaron Hall's Hall's passing ability can't be overlooked as well. The rushing game will give him favorable matchups down the field and help him avoid pressure against a strong Bears front seven. But he's going to have to throw the ball here and put up some points because, you know, Baylor has the ability to put up a lot of points. Especially with that passing, that downfield passing attack they have, the the excellent run game they have. So Jaron Hull is going to probably have to have his best game of the season. Now he's thrown for over 800 yards this year, eight passing touchdowns, three picks. He did he he was battling an injury. He came back last week against Boise State, so this will be a second game back from injury. But the play action is where he really shines. I mean, he's, he's completing over 61% of his passes off of play action attempts, over eight yards of completion, six touchdowns and only one turnover. But the biggest thing about the rushing attack is it should keep him from being under pressure all game. So under pressure is where Hall has to get a little bit better. Only completing 42% of his passes, one touchdown, two picks, and grades at a 55.2 passing grade by Pro Football Focus. When you can get to Hall, that has to be where he gets just where he improves his accuracy and just composure when he gets under pressure. But the top aspect of his game, and this is going to be one I'm so interested to see because when the defense gets aggressive against Hall and they blitz. If the O-line can give him just a bit of time in the pocket, Hall can make you play, and it's going to be interesting to see how an aggressive Aranda defense does against Hall, and if they bring a lot of blitzes, because that's where Hall's game has really shined. Against the Blitz, he's completing almost 70% of his passes, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and has a 91 passing grade against the Blitz this year. That's where Hall lives. And that's where he shines. So it's going to be interesting on if that if if that you know front three, four for Baylor can get pressure on on Hall this weekend because if you can't and you have to bring the blitz, if that offensive line holds up, Hall is going to pick you apart on the back end. So those are the keys for for BYU. Now for Baylor, it's clear as day for me. And you know, I like to pick one or the other, pick a, a specific thing, but it has to be Baylor's key has to be to be balanced they have to put pressures on all levels of this BYU defense because the bears are at their best guys when the, when the running game and the passing game are working together and you know and they're just they're all clicking at the same time and it keeps the defense completely off balance and that's what you saw last week against West Virginia and that's what you failed to see especially in the first half against Oklahoma State they just could not get that offense in rhythm and get it rolling Now they're averaging over 460 yards per game and 227 on the ground. They're averaging 233 through the air and their rushing attack is averaging over six yards per carry per game this season. That is great production. But for me, I want to start with Jerry Bohannon at the quarterback spot because, for me, I did not see this type of performance you know, in the preseason coming from him. He's exceeded any and all expectations, in my opinion. And if he continues to have the type of performance that he's been having this season, Baylor's going to be a very, very tough team to beat for BYU. You look at him throwing for over 1,300 yards. He's averaging over 10 yards an attempt, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions and six rushing touchdowns. And the reason I say balance is because, like Hall, you know, almost fifty percent of Baylor's passing attempts come off the play action. He's completing over seventy percent of his passes off the play action, averaging over eleven yards per an attempt, eight touchdowns, and has an eighty-six passing grade in those play action attempts. That's where that's that's where Bo Hannon is so comfortable. That's where he gets the more favorable matchups on the outside. And Baylor's got some very talented wide receivers to go make plays in man-up situations and or favorable, you know, zone coverage concepts. But for me, the deep ball is going to be something to watch this weekend because Bo Hannon has excelled when pushing the ball deep down the field. And this is really, you know, they've played, they played some good teams, but really and truly Bo Hannon offers the most. The most talented and viable deep field passing threat that this BYU BYU defense has seen all season. You know, Jaden Daniels is probably the the best quarterback they've seen. Maybe Hank Bachmeyer, And neither of them really are the the type of downfield passer that Bohannon really brings into this matchup. On deep passes... Bo Hannon has six touchdowns and has a 92.7 passing grade, and he's had over 400 yards of deep passes, 20-plus yards down the field. He can let it fly. He's efficient with it, and when he can hit those passes, this Baylor offense goes to another level. If the deep ball's clicking for Baylor's offense, they become damn near unstoppable in terms of what they can do on the football field. And if Bo Hannon can establish that deep ball this weekend, it could be a long day for the Cougars, especially because you, you're probably going to have to load the box at times because this Bears rushing attack has been overlooked all season. It's a two-headed monster, and this BYU defense is only allowing about three and a half yards per carry. But, man, this Baylor rushing attack has not been really held down other than you know maybe the Oklahoma State game to, for, for at times. But Abraham Smith, man, almost 600 yards rushing, 7.7 yards per attempt and seven rushing touchdowns. And and Ebner, over 400 yards rushing, six yards per carry and a receiving touchdown. Those two guys are going to have to do their thing. So what Baylor's going to do, in my opinion, is they're going to lean on Smith and Ebner to force BYU to load the box and then just let Bo Hannon air it out on these play action deep shots, get it to his playmakers, and make the defense make plays. They're going to put pressure on BYU to play very disciplined and execute at such a high level. And if you allow Baylor to be explosive, it's going to be very, very hard to beat this Bears team because they're already pretty consistent moving the ball down the field. If you just allow explosive play after explosive play, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Hall and that BYU offense to score more than they like. You know, BYU is not a high-scoring team. They're not going to try to go up there and put 40, 50 up like they did last year. This Bears team, if they start putting up points, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Hall and that BYU offense. And so if the Bears can establish these aspects of their offense, it's going to turn this game into the exact type of game where Baylor's going to throb and BYU's probably not going to be in their comfort zone. So that's why I'm picking be balanced, let Bohannon air it out and do his thing through the air while also not forgetting about Smith and Ebner on the ground for the Bears. Now, moving to matchup to watch, it, you know this one has me so excited, but it has to be this Baylor front seven and Dave Aranda's you know pass rushing scheme against this BYU offensive line, which has been dominated times this season. It's going to be a huge aspect of this game in determining whether the rushing attack for the for the Cougars is working and also can Hall be kept clean, as we've already talked about how when you get pressure on him, he turns into a different quarterback. And now the BYU offensive line's been one of the better offensive lines to this point in the season. They have the size and physicality that, you know, really makes them, makes them viable against almost any D line that they see in the country. Now they've only allowed three total sacks, seven QB hits and only 26 pressures all season long. That is elite level production when you're getting into week seven. now, You're looking at this Cougar schedule, and they're going to have to replicate what they did against some of these top defensive lines that they've seen. But I would say the front seven this weekend for Baylor is probably the best front seven that they've seen thus far. You can maybe make an argument for Utah, but for me, I think Baylor has some serious, serious playmakers on the front end of that defense. Now, the big question for me is whether Harris LeChance takes his right tackle spot back because he's been practicing he could see the field again this weekend. Or if BYU sticks with freshman Campbell Barrington at right tackle, who might be making his third consecutive start. Both of these guys have played well, but Barrington in his short time has become one of the better pass blockers in his limited action on this offensive line. So that's going to be an interesting question for me, is who's going to suit up at right tackle for the Cougars? The anchors on this offensive line, though, Blake Freeland at left tackle and center James Emby. They both have only allowed one pressure this season and they have some of the best pass blocking grades in the country with Freeland at a 95.1, which is right up there with one of the best in the country and empty with 88.8 pass blocking grade. Both of these guys do not allow pressures. They paved the way for Algier in this rushing attack. So for me, Freeland and they are going to have to anchor this offensive line and bring them along with them and keep Hall clean and pave some rushing lanes for Algier in this rushing attack. Now, Baylor's front seven, though, they got some real talent, and you have to credit Aranda for bringing in the talent to shore up this defensive front from last season. Yes, they're allowing about 140, 140 yards rushing per game, but they're holding teams to less than four yards per carry. They have 15 sacks and 62 pressures this season. And for me, the emergence of nose tackle Siaki Ika from LSU has been the difference really and truly of this defensive front. He's created opportunities for Gabe Hall and Cole Maxwell to make plays at that edge spot. You know, Eka's the highest graded pass rusher for this Bears defense with three sacks and six tackles for this team at nose guard, which is pretty great because nose guard, you guys know, I get that you, you can't look at a stat line for a nose guard. When you look at the, the double team blocks he demands and the attention he demands on the inside, Hall and Maxwell are able to go make plays on the edge now. You know, Eka had two sacks last week against West Virginia and really was the catalyst for this Bears defense having their best game of the season last week against West Virginia. Every time that Doji and those guys step back to, to know, take a shot, that pocket was collapsing on them. So Ika Hall, and Maxwell are some guys to watch this weekend. Now the linebacker spot, Terrell Bernard, and Garmin Randolph are going to be the guys to watch for the Bears. I honestly think Bernard has established himself as a top five linebacker in the country. I've been a huge Bernard fan on this podcast. 30 tackles, two sacks, two and a half for loss. You know, he was out with the out with a meniscus injury at one point, but he's back and he looked legit last weekend against West Virginia. And Randolph was unavailable early this season due to injury, but he him coming back immediately offers an upgrade at that Jack position for this bears defense, which is a very important position in the Aranda scheme. So this is going to come down to whether the bears can get pressure and limit this rushing attack and, or if BYU can win the line of scrimmage, that's going to go a long way to determining if the Cougars can pull off the upset in Waco this weekend. Now, you know, this is the second game I've covered for both of these teams this year. I picked BYU to beat Arizona State. They did, and I picked Baylor to beat Oklahoma State, and they didn't. So it's like got to hedge my bets here, but really and truly looking at it, I trust Bohannon and this Baylor offense to score just a little bit more than I trust BYU to score on this front seven. I think Terrell Bernard and that front seven of Baylor – gets some pressure on Hall, forces them into a mistake or two, and Hannon in this rushing attack for Baylor just makes enough plays down the stretch to win a very close game. I think this game is going to be close down the stretch. I think Baylor pulls away a little bit late. I have the Baylor Bears winning this one 30-21 over BYU this weekend in Waco, Texas. I, I think it's going to be a very, very competitive game. I'm going to be tuned in. I think this is one of the best matchups of the weekend. But I'm going with the Bears, 30, the Cougars, 21. We have a huge, extremely important AAC matchup this weekend in Nipper Stadium. UCF traveling up to take on number three Cincinnati this weekend. Cincinnati is a 21-point favorite. This game kicks off on ABC at 11 a.m. Central Time, B12 B12 p.m. Eastern Time if you guys are in the Eastern Time Zone. But, man, you're talking about a matchup that not only has AAC championship implications, but also college football playoff implications in terms of Cincinnati, and is going to feature one of the best teams in the country and another one with a with a head coach in his first year looking to make a statement. They've caught the injury bug, so for me, the stakes couldn't be any higher this weekend. It, it is it is a Gus Malzahn team with nothing to lose, and we've seen that Auburn what that can mean for these high-ranked teams as Gus Malzahn has done this before. So in terms of storylines, the Bearcats come in, uh, uh, of course everyone knows, 5-0. They find themselves in the top three in the country, right in the thick of the college football playoff race, and they're looking to make a statement against the UCF team that many people deemed their stiffest t- competition in this conference over the past few seasons and coming into this year. So a big win here You know, one of like the point spread of 21 or more points would do wonders for Cincinnati's resume because as we all know, uh, the schedule's going to get critiqued. So from now on, Luke Fickle on this team knows they not only have to one win, but to do it impressively week in and week out. Now, the knights they come into this game at three and two. Head coach Gus Malzahn is looking to turn things around with a signature win to kick off his first year as head coach down there in Orlando. But they face so many injuries, man. They've lost plenty of contributors throughout these first few weeks. But you can never count out Gus Malzahn when you have a highly ranked team coming in to face one of his teams. He's beaten six top ten teams in his career. Most, you know, all of them at Auburn while he was the head coach there. So don't think this is going to be a cakewalk. UCF is by far capable of pulling off the upset this weekend. Now, in terms of like his sto- like the history of this matchup, it's tied three to three. This, these teams met for the first time in 2015 when the, you know, they got together in the AAC, but the Bearcats have won the last two matchups against UCF, both by three points. They've been highly competitive games. So Cincinnati knows that when UCF comes to town, it's going to be a game. And, in terms of the keys to victory for each of these teams, let's, let's start with the Bearcats. It's always going to be let Desmond Ritter run this offense and make plays. The key is just to let Desmond Ritter get into his rhythm and go out there and win you the game. When you have a quarterback like Desmond Ritter, you just have to trust him to be the focal point of this offense and get it going. And on top of that, you have a UCF defense giving up over 360 yards per game. And so for me, it's a recipe to really let Desmond Ritter be himself, you know, show his experience, show his explosiveness and just show what he can do on the football field. And when you're looking at this offense, it's averaging over 430 yards per game, a balanced attack with 260 through the air over 170 on the ground. And they're averaging 41 points per game, which gives them a top 10 scoring offense in the country right now. And, when you look at Ritter, why I picked him as the key, he's the winningest quarterback in FBS in, in the FBS right now, with more than ten starts, and has placed himself among the candidates for dark horse in, in as a dark horse in the Hosman race this year, with over thirteen hundred passing yards, twelve touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, only two turnovers, and he has he's completing over sixty five percent of his passes. And that is that's elite level production. He's the reason they're sitting at five and zero, oh, and he's the reason that many people think Cincinnati needs to be the team to break into the college football playoff in the group of five. And the dangerous part about Ritter's game for me is not just his athleticism out of the pocket, which a lot of people talk about. It's his ability to attack the defense at every level. He's most dangerous when he has the time and ability in a loaded box to uncourt that deep ball and push the ball deep down the field. That's where Ritter becomes most dangerous is when he can when he can combine the athleticism with the deep ball. On passes 20 or plus yards down the field, he's thrown for almost 500 yards, four touchdowns, no turnovers, has nine big time throws, and a 92.1 passing grade, according to Pro Football Focus's advanced analytics. That is where he shines, and that is where he becomes extremely dangerous because once he starts pushing the deep ball, you know, pushing that deep ball, that running game is going to open up. And we'll talk about that in just a second as another key, but. This correlates with just the overall, if you can't get pressure on Ritter. We saw Notre Dame at times when they kind of closed that lead back up with a big fumble return. You have to get pressure on Ritter or he's going to pick you apart. When he's when he's kept clean in the pocket, his completion percentage jumps to 70%. He's thrown for over 1,000 yards, over nine yards per completion, nine touchdowns and only one of those turnovers when he's kept clean in the pocket. UCF is going to have to get after Ritter make him uncomfortable in the pocket, and really just make him uncomfortable throughout the game because if you let him get into into his rhythm, he's going to absolutely destroy this defense for UCF. And that's why I picked Jerome Ford as another key for the Bearcats this weekend because this offense, as good as it is, it hits like turbo level. It hits another level of just effectiveness when Ford and Ritter are both clicking together on the field. Ford has over 500 yards rushing guys, over six yards per carry, and eight rushing touchdowns. He has 13 explosive runs this season, and he takes care of the ball with only one fumble this year. And when you look at how he does it, the edge defenders and those outside linebackers are going to have a lot of pressure put on those safeties in the open field. Ford is going to attack the edge of the offensive line, the edge of the defense, and try to get outside of you. He's averaging almost 10 yards a carry for the entire season when running off tackle or off the tight end in any formation this season. So you're going to have to set the edge of your UCF, make open field tackles, and you're going to have to make the Bearcats one-dimensional. There is no way you can beat the Cincinnati team if you're letting Ritter and Ford and this offensive line all click and you know get in sync together because they are just too talented at all levels of this offense. So the UCF defense is going to have to be strong in the run game and say, listen, you're going to do one or the other, but you're not going to do both on us. And they're going to have to turn this into a dirty physical game. And that's what you want from this UCF defense. But Ford and Ritter are going to be the keys for Cincinnati this Saturday and for the Knights, man, it's so hard to pick, man, because of these injuries. I mean, they they caught the unlucky break of having the injury bug this year. I mean, but it has to be the rushing attack, mostly because Dylan Gabriel – potentially out for the season. There's rumors he could have a late season return broken clavicle, which means freshman Mikey Keene is going to have to step up again. Joey Gatewood is the backup there. So it'd be interesting if, you know, Keen has a tough day. Are they going to trust Gatewood to go in and make some plays? But having this, having this running game going is going to take pressure off of Keene against this extremely tough Bearcat secondary. They're only allowing 170 yards through the air per game, and, and this defense is forcing almost three turnovers per game this season. So you've got to run the ball and take pressure off of your freshman quarterback in what's going to be a, a very, very hostile environment up there in Cincinnati. Now – the Knights have lost already their top two running backs. R.J. Harvey's out for the year with a leg injury, and Isaiah Bowser hurt his leg. His you know his timetable hasn't really been announced. It's kind of TBD as of right now, but those guys are both hurt, which means that Mark Anthony Richards, Johnny Richardson, and Trillian Coles must step up for this running game of UCF. Richardson has already been productive over 300 yards rushing over seven yards per carry guys and a rushing touchdown. Richardson is going to have to have a big game this weekend in Nippert if if UCF even plans to keep this game close. Coles and Richards both are averaging over five yards per carry both have just over 200 yards rushing combined and both have a rushing touchdown this year. Gus Malzahn likes to have his workhorse, but he also has a nice rotation of guys, especially against big physical defenses like they're going to see against Cincinnati this weekend. Now the rushing attack has to ease the burden on King because his passing grade is only a 53.2 on passes that are not part of some sort of play action concept. That's not going to work against the Cincinnati defense on no play action plays. He's throwing less than 200. He's thrown for less than 200 yards. He's only completing about four yards per pass, zero touchdowns in a pick, and only has one explosive play on 43 dropbacks with no play action. You are going to have to create some sort of advantage for Keane this weekend if you're Gus Malzahn. You're going to have to put him in favorable situations, and you're going to have, have to have route concepts where he can get some hoppers in his throws and you can get the ball to your athletes on the outside to go make plays. Now, On play action, the story is completely different. Over 260 through the air, averaging almost nine yards to completion, three touchdowns and only one pick, and the passing grade jumps to 76. That's why this rushing attack has to be really, really good this weekend for UCF to help Keen. You have to get Richardson uh, really going. Johnny Richardson, for me, is the X factor for UCF. And as we've seen at Auburn, if Gus Malzahn can run the ball, he can be in any sort of game because that's when his offense is flowing and in that flow state where they can put points up on anybody. But if you shut down the run, that's when trouble happens. So UCF, especially against an elite secondary like we're going to see this weekend, you have to run the football. Now, the matchup to watch for me is clear. UCF is going to have to put points up in this game. Because Cincinnati is going to score. So it's going to have to be this UCF wide receiving core up against one of the best secondaries in the country that the Bearcats are going to be bringing into this game. They've only allowed quarterbacks to complete about 48% of their passes. They have a top five scoring defense in the country with only 12 uh, 12 points per game allowed this season. They've allowed under 70 points this entire season to be scored. You are going to have... These wide receivers are going to have to play big-time football this weekend if UCF plans on pulling the huge upset this weekend. Now, UCF has already lost one of their best wide receivers, Man, I'm telling you the injury bug is real down there in Orlando. Jalen Robinson is potentially out for the year, which means Ryan O'Keefe, Caden Robinson, and Brandon Johnson are really going to have to step up this weekend and have big, big games. O'Keefe has already had a big season, 28 catches for over 300 yards and a touchdown, while Johnson has five touchdowns already, 240 yards and over 20 catches. These wide receivers, the key for me is they have to try to find separation against this really good secondary, and they're going to have to try to be explosive down the field. And if they can get separation, they have to make the catch. Drop passes, Tipped up in the air passes are going to result in one the offense stalling and two if you tip a pass up against this defense, it's probably going to be picked. So you need consistent production out of your wide receiving core to really help out your freshman quarterback. It's all gonna be it's all gonna be about one-on-one matchups on the outside. Can O'Keefe and Johnson go out there and beat a Gardner and a Kobe Bryant? That's what it's gonna come down to, and these wide receivers are going to have to win this matchup of UCF. Plans to escape Nippard with a huge upset win. Now, you know the Bearcat secondary is led by a mod sauce Gardner man at this at the DB spot. He's the best cornerback in, in the country, in my opinion. He's a, yet to allow a touchdown in his entire career. This season he's only allowed six catches for 41 yards and has two INTs already. And for a, not So I think they're going to avoid him. So the real X factor for me is Kobe Bryant and Arquan Bush, the other two corners in this backfield. They're going to have to be very, very productive, and they're going to have to shut down some of these other guys in this UCF passing attack. If you can make them one-dimensional and then you can load the box and these wide receivers can't create separation, this offense is going to falter and Cincinnati's running away with this one. So Bryant's only allowed 13 catches this year, has a pick, has a touchdown. Bush only 12 catches on 24 targets and already has two picks. They've stepped up big time, but this weekend is going to be one that they're going to have to have a statement in, in my opinion, because we know there are, even though the injuries are there, UCF has some talented athletes on the outside of this offense at the wide receiver spot that can go make plays. Now, the safety spot is also going to be one to watch in this matchup. Javon Hicks and Brian Cook, they're going to have to be strong in pass coverage as always, but I'm also interested to see how they step up in the run game. I would imagine that Cincinnati is going to try to load the box early. They're going to trust their corners on islands, and they're going to see if UCF can beat you. And if you can't, it's going to be a long day for UCF. So can Hicks and Cook have big days in the rushing the the rush defense aspect of their game and or is UCF going to be able to make plays behind them? So I think Cincinnati and Luke Fickle are going to trust – Kobe Bryant, um, Arquan Bush, Sauce Gardner, all those guys, they're going to trust them on islands to go make plays. And what they're going to do is try to shut down this run game and say, can your true freshman quarterback come into our stadium against the one of the best secondaries in the country and win this game? That's why the wide receivers are going to have to go out there and make plays for their young quarterback. Now, for the prediction, man, you know, I've, I've covered UCF once this year. I picked them to beat Boise. They had a huge comeback win against Boise, and it was it was it, it was an it was one of the best games of the season, honestly. I've picked Cincinnati every time I've had them on the podcast too. I'm a like I really believe this team can be a college football playoff team. If it was a healthy versus healthy matchup, I think this game could be a huge upset alert for Cincinnati, especially if Dylan Gabriel and Robinson at wide receiver, all these guys are healthy. They got some offensive linemen out. There's just too many injuries for me to feel comfortable picking UCF. I think Cincinnati's legit this year. They deserve that number three ranking, in my opinion. I think they pull away in this one. Cincinnati 48, UCF 23 this weekend in Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati. That is my score. I got the Bearcats 48, the Knights 23. So, guys, have a huge – Top 25 matchup going down in Austin, Texas this weekend. We got the number 12 ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys coming in to take on the number 25 Texas Longhorns. The Longhorns are actually the five and a half point favorite in this matchup in the, in the Fox, uh, big new kickoff game, 11 a.m. Central time, 12 p.m. Eastern time live on Fox, man. And this game is, probably plays one of the biggest roles in deciding who takes that, you know, possibly second one of those two spots in Dallas for the big 12 championship moving forward. It can place both of these teams in really, really nice position to get one of those two spots. Texas needs a big win in this one after their very tough loss to Oklahoma and Oklahoma state is looking to continue their undefeated run right now. So for me, this game couldn't mean any more to either one of these teams. And so <clears throat> that's the biggest storyline. But for each team, the Longhorns come in at four and two. Many are wondering what could have been last weekend if they would have finished off the Sooners, like many thought they probably would have. Steve Sarkeesian's offense has been clicking after a quarterback change, and it could be and the Big 12 could be absolutely interesting if the Longhorns can pull off a huge top 12 win over the Cowboys this weekend in Austin, Texas. And on top of that, the Oklahoma State finds themselves at 5-0. Oh. Many people did not see this team being at this position. They, they're they looking for their third straight top 25 win of the season, and they're looking to make a top 10 run and a very, very strong run in a Big 12 title, which they have not had Since 2011 now the Longhorns lead this series 26 to nine and they've won the last two matchups but the Cowboys have won four of the last six matchups against the Longhorns so this rivalry has gone both has gone both ways in recent years but the Longhorns historically have dominated but let's get into the keys of the game and it will start with Oklahoma State. The Cowboys have to keep a balanced attack on offense. That's exactly how they've succeeded over the first five weeks of the season. Spencer Sanders is at his best when the run game is clicking and vice versa. But the number one thing to do this weekend is establish the running game first against this Longhorns defense, giving up over 200 yards per carry and over five yards per carry for the season season. And then allow Sanders to build off of that and have some high percentage throws. That way he can kind of ease into the game in a very, very most likely hostile road environment down there in Austin. Now, the Cowboys, you know, have struggled to run the ball early, to say the least. And it's been mostly due to injuries Turnover at the running back spot. You look at you know what they lost with Chuba Hubbard. That's he's been you know after Christian McCaffrey's injury, he's been balling for the Panthers. So it was a huge loss for this Oklahoma State offense. Now against Baylor that they've really turned it around over 200 yards rushing. Jalen Warren has really started to click for this offense and he's kind of immersed as their top option after some of these injuries, 512 yards, six rushing touchdowns for Warren and Richardson's more of a rotational running back. You're going to have to watch him. He has 61 yards rushing this year, but Warren is going to be the guy moving forward for the Cowboys. And so he's someone that has to have a big weekend. He's going to try to have to replicate, you know, we saw what Kennedy Brooks did. Warren's might not be on the level of Brooks, but he has that ability to be a game changer. And if he can put up 150, 200 yards, that's going to go a long way in determining if Oklahoma state can pull off the, you know, spread upset, but continue their undefeated season. Now the rushing attack, Really opens up opportunities for Spencer moving forward, I, you know, and especially to make plays down the field for this Cowboys offense. It one gives him a cleaner pocket, and two, it gives the, those wide receivers on the outside some very nice one on one opportunities to go make plays in open space. Now, the number one thing though is to keep uh, Sanders clean, the clean pocket, you know. When when having a clean pocket, Sanders has completed almost 71% of his passes, for over 600 yards, three touchdowns, and has a 93 passing grade, according to Pro Football Focus. But when he's under pressure, that completion percentage drops to 32%. He's only throwing about five yards down the field, has two two touchdowns, two picks, and his PFF passing grade drops to a 44.2. The key for Oklahoma State's offense is to run the ball And therefore Sanders has a cleaner pocket and more time to throw the ball. Because if you become one dimensional and the defense can get after Sanders, that's when this offense stalls and sputters in recent history. So they have to keep him clean. And on the flip side, Texas has to get to the has to get Sanders and get him uncomfortable in the pocket and get him, you know, making some mistakes and forces turnovers. Now, sanders on the on the other side has to continue his domination over the middle with his intermediate uh passing attack he's got to put pressure on this Texas defense to make a stop here you know he's he's completed over sixty six percent of his passes for over three hundred yards three touchdowns one pick and has an eighty nine point nine passing grade on passes ten to nineteen yards down the field. The number one thing for Sanders is. Get comfortable. You don't have to do anything spectacular. Play within your comfort zone. Avoid turnovers. And that's the big thing for me, avoid turnovers. You saw what happened when Oklahoma turned the ball over last week against Texas. Texas was able to make them pay and really separated themselves in the first half. But once you started taking care of the ball, you saw you could make some plays against this Texas defense. So Play in your comfort zone. Don't force anything, and make sure you protect the ball because that's how—that's the recipe to beating this Texas team. Is just to play smart football and play within your offense. Let Warren do it on the ground, and and for Sanders, you just have to protect the ball and make the throws when they're there. Now, I know that you know on other Texas previews, the key, I always said the key is going to be Bajan Robinson at running back. He's great, but when you look at the matchup, this Oklahoma State defense is only giving up about 90 yards on the ground this year in less than in less than three yards per carry. So this weekend, really for me, the key is going to be Casey Thompson being a distributor, not turning the ball over, and letting his playmakers outside make plays in open space against this Cowboys secondary. Now, you know, Hudson Card was the initial starting quarterback for the Longhorns. But since Thompson has taken over this QB one role, the Longhorns have been a different team, averaging over seven yards per play, 480 yards per game, and he's put up ridiculous stats, man. Over that, almost 1,100 yards passing, you know, 11.3, you know, average attempt, 14 passing touchdowns, three picks, and three rushing touchdowns. He's made a living on those short to intermediate passes this season, and that's going to be key is hitting his wide receivers, not turning the ball over, making smart and accurate throws while letting his wide receivers and running backs make plays in open space. He's completed almost 73% of his passes for over 500 yards, eight touchdowns, no turnovers in that short to intermediate range. The one thing I'm worried about is can he push the ball down the field because that's where all his turnovers have come when he tries to attempt passes over 20 yards down the field. The The thing that he has to do is not only avoid turnovers, but he has to create some explosive plays against a defense that has not allowed many but the reason you want to have explosive plays is this offense is only putting up about 25 points per game. You want to put pressure on Sanders and this uh offense to have to put up points this weekend on the road, get them out of their comfort zone and make them play your type of game. The team who establishes their will and you know the the pace of the game into their favor. Is going to win this game. Texas has to make this a high scoring game because that's where they're going to thrive. If this gets into an ugly, you know, beat down, drag out, uh, smash mouth type game, Oklahoma State definitely is going to have the advantage there because of the makeup of their team. Now, the wide receiving core has been electric after the um, over the past few weeks. They've really defied expectations for me coming into the season, and this weekend there are going to be some X factors. Xavier Worthy is by far the number one option, 25 catches for over 530 yards. He's averaging 21 yards per catch and six touchdowns. Joshua Moore is going to have to step up, 14, 146, and two touchdowns. Losing Jordy Whittington last week was a huge loss. He's potentially out for the season, possibly has to get surgery. He had over 300 yards, three touchdowns. But I want you all to look out for Marcus Washington and Cavante Dixon to step up in replacing him this weekend. They're going to be guys that you're going to have to know their name after this weekend if the Longhorns want to win this game. And, of course, you can never forget about Bajan Robinson, 789 yards rushing, over six yards per carry, eight touchdowns, 169 receiving yards for a 15-yard per catch average, and two receiving touchdowns. He's going to be a factor regardless if you're passing or rushing. He's going to have to make plays. It's a very good front seven of Oklahoma State. So look out for Bajan Robinson and whether he can make a statement this weekend against a very, very talented defense. Now, the matchup to watch for me, it has to be this Oklahoma State offensive line against this Texas defensive line because it's not only going to be important to the rushing attack for the Cowboys, you have to limit the pressure on Sanders, and that's going to be the utmost important thing this weekend for this Cowboys offense. And you want to give credit where credit's due. The Cowboys' O-line has done a solid job in protecting Sanders, paving the way for a rushing attack that's been getting better each and every week. They've only allowed five sacks, 22 pressures, and 13 hits on Sanders this weekend, which is not a bad mark at all, especially that sack number is very, very good. But Josh Sills and Hunter Woodward have been the cornerstones of this offensive line. Both have both are the highest-graded O-linemen on this team. Only allowed one sack and nine pressures combined, which is an elite mark. The one place I'm worried about is Jake Springfield on this offensive line. He's got to play better this weekend. He's been the weak spot, a 59.9 blocking grade for the season. He's allowed three sacks, 12 total pressures. He's going to have to hold up against a fairly talented Texas defensive line. Now, the D-line for the Longhorns has been solid this season. 15 sacks, 52 pressures over their first six games. But losing edge defender Jacoby Jones last weekend is a huge loss for them. But I'm looking for Alfred Collins to make his impact now that a spot's opened up. And already in his limited you know, rotational action, Collins is tied for the team leading sacks with two this season. So what can we see from a bigger role in Collins? Can he explode onto the scene? You also look at – I really like Byron Murphy, the second on this defensive front. And then o- Ovi, Agahafu, um, I'm sure I, I butchered that, but uh, try my best there. But, yeah, Ovi and Byron are going to be two guys to look for on this defensive front that's going to be tasked with not only – stopping this run game but generating a solid pass rush all weekend long and I'm not putting a lot of stock into you know all the craziness last week for this Texas defense because I don't think people understand how hard it is to defend a backup quarterback you didn't prepare for especially one as talented as Caleb Williams was so this week I expect to see a much better performance down the stretch. From this Texas front seven and this Texas defense overall, you look at the, uh Overshone in that in that second level, he's a legit in a future NFL star. I think I think Collins and him are going to be two guys to really watch out for in this front seven, generating pass rush and stopping this rushing attack. Now for predictions, man. This this game was so hard, I man. I've been going back and forth, and even right before i recorded, I wasn't sure where I was gonna go. But for me, I just think the, the offensive inconsistency in terms of scoring is going to catch up with Oklahoma State. In the second half, Baylor really played much better and kind of exposed some weaknesses on that OSU offense and defense. I think Texas's offense is just too good. They're going to turn this game into a higher-scoring game. And like I said, a higher-scoring game will favor the Longhorns while a a very, very low-scoring physical game is going to benefit Oklahoma State. I have Texas in a very, very close one, probably a walk-off field goal type situation. I have the Longhorns 37, Oklahoma State 34, a three-point win for the Longhorns. So they do not cover that five-and-a-half-point spread. But I think this game could go either way. I still think both of these teams are going to be – in a very, very tight race for that other spot in Dallas. You look at Oklahoma State, still gets a shot at Oklahoma. Texas still has some very tough games moving forward. And on top of that, Oklahoma's got some very tough tests moving forward, so who knows what they're going to be like. This is going to be a huge matchup to determine the future of the Big 12 and who gets to go to Dallas with the chance to win the championship. Right now, though, If this game was in Stillwater, it might have been flipped the other way. But I got the Longhorns in Austin, 37-34, over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Guys, have the Auburn Tigers traveling to Fayetteville, Arkansas, to take on the number 17 Arkansas Razorbacks. The Razorbacks are four-and-a-half-point favorites in a game that kicks off at 11 a.m. Central Time. Live on CBS, it's one of these CBS doubleheader weekends, as we also have Georgia and Kentucky following this game on CBS. But this game could not be any more important for the SEC West. You know, Arkansas and Auburn, you know, Auburn has won. Arkansas has two losses in the SEC. And with Alabama dropping a game, that SEC West race is really wide open right now between Bama, Ole Miss, Auburn. Arkansas all these teams have a shot A&M even thrown back into the mix has a shot at this SEC West crown if they can get hot late in the season so both of these teams are looking to make their mark and both of these teams are looking to show that they're a real contender and this is really a contender pretender matchup because the loser really falls back into the fray of this tough SEC conference now for storylines. For Arkansas, they come into this matchup at four and two, and they're looking to rebound after two tough consecutive losses—a shutout loss to Georgia in Sanford's uh, Sanford Stadium two weeks ago, and then a one-point, soul-crushing loss where they missed a two-point conversion to uh, beat Ole Miss on the road last weekend in Oxford, but they're coming back home. The hype and excitement is still surrounding this Arkansas program. It's at an all-time high, and a lot of people are looking at this game for, you know, a chance for the Sam Pittman-led Razorbacks team to get their momentum back and really insert themselves, you know, in the top half of this SEC West division behind KJ Jefferson and this potent running attack that they have. Now, on the other sideline, the Tigers, they come into this matchup at 4-2. and two. Both of their losses are the top seven teams in the country and Penn State on the road and Georgia last week in a 34-10 loss. Now, a win this weekend could really set the Tigers up to be an interesting dark horse in the West. Now, a lot of people are counting them out because they're unranked. They've lost two games, but their only conference losses to Georgia, and a win here would put them – right in the thick of this SEC West race, if they can get hot because they also have Ole Miss coming. If they win that game, Auburn finds himself in a very, very interesting position. They've already had beaten LSU in that SEC West, and their entire SEC West schedule is ahead of them. So this Auburn team needs to win here. This is a chance for Brian Harson to get his first-ranked win as the Auburn head coach. And so this game could not mean more for this Auburn program. Now, Looking at the series as a whole, the Tigers lead the series 18-11 to 11 over the Razorbacks and have won seven of the last eight games in this series and are currently on a five-game winning streak. But the Razorbacks' last win did come in Fayetteville in a multiple overtime upset over the Tigers back in 2015. So this series has been competitive, but over the past few years, Auburn has dominated this series, per se. But let's get into the keys for victory, man. we got to start with the Razorbacks being the ranked team, being the home team. It's, it all lies in the rushing attack for Arkansas. Let's be honest. That's where this team thrives. That's where, they, that's where the Razorbacks make their money, and that's on the ground. They have one of the best rushing offenses in the country. They're averaging over 240 yards per game on the ground and are averaging over two touchdowns on the ground per game this season. They've shown an ability to rush on pretty much any defense they've seen outside of Georgia, and I'm going to be honest, I, I said this on Bryce Coombs' podcast that dropped today, go check it out on the Crowded Booth, but I said it on his podcast, Georgia, you've got to almost take it out as a data point for some of these teams because nobody's really running on Georgia And this weekend, Arkansas is going to have to do it against a fairly solid Tiger front that's only giving up about 100 yards on the ground per game and only allowing three yards per carry this season. So that's going to be the key for them. You look at Traylon Smith at running back, almost 400 yards rushing, four touchdowns, averaging over five yards per carry. Now, Raheem Sanders is another guy to watch. He's averaging over six yards per carry, and then you also got to look at that third rotational piece in Dominique Johnson, averaging over six and a half yards per carry, three rushing touchdowns. All three of these guys have to be dynamic. They have to be explosive, and they have to be consistent. I think what you're going to see is Arkansas utilize a strategy similar to what they used against Texas, where... On the, on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to try to make Auburn one-dimensional and make and put that game on Bo Nix. But on the offensive side, they are just going to pound it and pound it and pound it. And then after Auburn loads the box, K.J. Jefferson is going to have some opportunity to go up over the top and make some plays with his arm. Now, you also have to watch K.J. Jefferson on the ground. That's really the X factor this weekend because Auburn really hasn't been tested by a true talented dual threat quarterback this season. You know, he has over 300 yards rushing, five rushing touchdowns and averages over five yards per carry. And he is a load and a matchup nightmare in the open field because he can run you over. He can make you miss. And he is just an overall playmaker. So can the Auburn defensive line and linebackers play disciplined, smart football and keep Jefferson contained in the pocket and not let him hurt, hurt this defense with his legs. That's going to be another key for Arkansas this weekend is to let Jefferson be a playmaker. If Jefferson can replicate his performance from last weekend, where he threw for over 300 yards and almost led Arkansas to the big win, that, that, that could really signal trouble for this Auburn defense. Now, you look at you look at what he has to do. He has to avoid turnovers. He has to be efficient. But he's going up against an Auburn secondary that has struggled at times to stop opposing quarterbacks. Opposing quarterbacks are completing almost seventy percent of their passes on this Auburn team. Stetson Bennett had a big a big weekend last week, and even Max Johnson early in that LSU game found a way to do it big, and so did Sean Clifford, only missing four passes in Penn State's win over Auburn. Back in week three, now Jefferson is completing uh, over 62 percent of his passes, over 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns, three picks, and he does it over the deep to meet to intermediate range passes, so like 10 to you know 20 plus yards down the field. And for on his deep passes, he has a 91.8 passing grade by Pro Football Focus's advanced analytic team when he can hit on those deep passes that's when K.J. Jefferson is his most dynamic, most explosive, and really can put pressure on the back end of a defense. And when you look at what, they have, what Arkansas has to do, if they can keep Jefferson clean, the Tigers could be in some real trouble, and Jefferson is going to have to make play after play, whether it be with his arm or whether it be outside the pocket just playing smart, disciplined football. And so for me, the key is first a running game, And then second, can Jefferson be the playmaker that we ultimately know he can be for this Arkansas offense? Now, on the flip side, we got the Auburn Tigers. And as much as I hate picking, you know, similar keys for these teams, both of these teams are run first teams. And when you look at this matchup, the Tigers are also going to have to rush to football to match what Arkansas is going to try to do with their offense. And. When you look at the blueprint on the teams that have beaten Arkansas and Georgia and Ole Miss, you have to run the football. Ole Miss with Snoop Connor and uh, Paris Jr. absolutely had big days. And then you look at the four-man rotation that Georgia used against Arkansas controlling the line of scrimmage. So you've got to try to replicate that blueprint with your running attack and those talented running backs that the Tigers have on this team. Now, they're rushing for over 200 yards per game already, over six yards per carry, and over two touchdowns a game, similar to Arkansas. But the difference is they have a game-changer running back in Tank Bixby, arguably one of the best, uh, probably a top two or three running back in the country coming into this year. You know, he was uh, there was rumors he was banged up between LSU and Georgia State. This is the game where Bigsby's going to have to have a big performance. He's rushed for over 450 on the ground this year, five and a half yards per carry and five touchdowns. He had a big touchdown against Georgia last weekend. And then Jarquest Hunter, the true freshman that has really just exploded out of nowhere, uh, honestly, has over 460 rushing yards, averaging 9.9 yards attempt and three rushing touchdowns. He's averaging almost 10 yards per carry this season These guys are going to have to be explosive and they're going to have to try to win the battle on the outside of this Arkansas defense, rush off the edge and rush off tackle. When you look at when Auburn attacks the edge and or tries to run off tackle, they have almost 600 of their rushing yards, averaging over six yards per carry and seven rushing touchdowns when attacking the outer edge of this, of this front seven of defenses they face. Now, also, a really big key, and really just a, a weird detail, when running in the A-gap on the left side of the line, Auburn's averaging 11 yards per carry with four rushing touchdowns on that left side A-gap between the center and guard, man. They make a living right there. So if Arkansas can stop that, can funnel this Auburn rushing attack to the middle and stop that A-gap rush off that left side, Auburn's Auburn's going to be in some trouble. So, But Auburn for them. They cannot abandon the run. They can't fall. They 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 can't, you know, let early stops by Arkansas deter them from giving their playmakers a chance. And I feel like at times Auburn has gotten away from their game plan in the biggest games. And if you can just consistently feed the ball to Tank and Jarquez, it's eventually gonna hit and it's going to keep you in the game. So take the pressure off of Knicks, give the ball to Hunter and Tank, and let this Auburn offensive line and running back group eat up front. Now, the other key, of course, is going to be Bo Nix and which version of Nix that we get, you know, which version of this junior single caller that we're going to get coming to Fayetteville this weekend. He's going to have to avoid turnovers, which he's done well this year. He threw his first pick last week, and it wasn't even his fault. It was a tip ball by his running back, and the Kobe Dean just made a good play on it but he's also going to have to match Jefferson's playmaking ability, which we have seen Nick's can be one of the most dynamic playmakers. And you look at the LSU game as a prime example. Now for Nick's, he's, he's, he's thrown for over 1200 yards, six passing touchdowns, one pick, like I said, and also has a rushing touchdown. Now, You know, you might say, man, he's only completing like 50-something percent of his passes. Well, a lot of his struggles and poor stat lines have come from poor wide receiving play. He's falling victim to almost 20 drops this season from his wide receiving core, and he's really played well these past two weeks, but the Tigers' wide receivers have not helped him out. They They had almost 10 drops last week against Georgia. Auburn probably would have been in a much better position in that Georgia game if the wide receivers would just hang on to some of these balls – He's going to have to build some chemistry and trust his wide receivers to go make plays this weekend, and he has to be able to make plays down the field off this run game because Arkansas is going to load the box, make this inexperienced wide receiving, wide receiving group beat them one-on-one outside, and if they can't do it, Auburn could be in for a very long day. So the key is to, one, establish to run and then let Nicks build off that and be the playmaker downfield guy he is at that quarterback spot. Now, for the matchup to watch, I think it has to be the Arkansas offensive line against this Auburn front seven because, yes, the Tigers have to get a lot of pressure on Jefferson because that's how you get him out of his rhythm. But on the other side, the Razorbacks are going to have to win this so that way they can establish that run game that I mentioned earlier as one of the keys of the game. Now, The offensive line has done an excellent job protecting Jefferson and, like I said earlier, averaging over 240 on the ground per game, so they've done a great job in establishing the rushing attack. They've only allowed six sacks this season, eight quarterback hits, and 39 pressures. That is an elite production six weeks into the season. Now you look at this offensive line, the tackles, the redshirt seniors, the guys who have been in the trenches, Dalton Wagner is 6'9", 330, and Myron Cunningham 6'6", 325. Cunningham has yet to allow a sack. Wagner's the other one of the highest-graded offensive linemen on the Razorbacks. The tackle spot is the solid point of this uh, Arkansas offensive line they're going to have to have big games against some against the Auburn pass rush that has really come on strong as of late and has been improving game in and game out for the Tigers now Ricky Stromberg at center is also one of the highly graded Arkansas offensive linemen and he's he's only allowed three pressures all season and why this is so important is when he's under pressure KJ Jefferson is only completing about 50 percent of his passes hit one interception and his passing grade drops to a 57.3, which is much lower than what he get, what he has in a clean pocket. So if they can keep Jefferson calm, cool collected with a lot of time to make plays down the field against this Auburn secondary, that's going to be the key because at that safety spot Auburn can be had. We saw Clifford take advantage of it. We saw – um we saw LSU take advantage of it in the first quarter, but then they kind of got away from it later in the game. So they, if they give Jefferson time, Arkansas's offense really goes to another level. It really has the advantage going into this weekend. Now for Auburn, though, the defensive line, like I said, has slowly improved game after game. They have 22 sacks this season and over 70 pressures in their first six games of the season, and they're going to have to replicate that this weekend against the Razorbacks. You look at Derek Hall, four sacks, 14 QB hurries. Um, Iku Leota, five sacks that leads the Tigers this season. He's the Northwestern transfer with a load of experience. These guys coming off the edge is going to be important. And then one of the leaders of this front seven, Colby Wooden, three sacks, 13 QB hurries. This is the highest graded pass rusher on the Tigers defense. These guys are going to have to win the line of scrimmage, and they're going to have to find a way to stay disciplined in their rushing lanes and keep Jefferson corralled in the pocket, but also get to them. Even if you don't sack them, make sure you're getting that internal clock ticking a little bit faster than Jefferson likes and get him out of his comfort zone. And that's going to be a key for Auburn, the linebacking spot. We don't know exactly if Owen Papo is going to be back this weekend as of right now, I would imagine they're going to, he probably be a game time decision. I'm hoping they let him suit up because he's really been a missing piece in this second level of this Auburn defense. So Kobe McClain is someone to watch. He is, he, he was the SEC leading tackler last year. He's on that same pace this year. He is a key piece to this Auburn rushing defense. And then when he's in the game, he's a game changer. So, Zacoby McClain and Owen Papo got to be big, especially if Papo plays. But that's going to be something to look forward to as game time approaches. But this Auburn front seven has to win this line of scrimmage battle. If they get blown off the ball and Arkansas does what they did to a Texas or a Texas A&M and win the line of scrimmage dominantly, Auburn's going to be in for a long day because Auburn does not have the secondary pieces to load the box and play one-on-one on the outside against some of these Arkansas wide receivers because Traylon Burks will probably have a very big day if that happens. Now, when I look at this matchup as my prediction, man, I've picked Arkansas every single game that we've covered them this season. I've, um, except for except for Texas and except for Georgia, so I'm one in one when I don't pick Arkansas. And for Auburn, I've picked against them every time I've covered them on this show. I know my Auburn people are like, I hate this podcast. What what a what a horrible Auburn alum we got, but. I'm always trying to be non-biased. I try to take this game by game, and I really had a tough time picking this game because I think these teams match up very, very well, and both of them are going to be desperate for a win. Last year we saw a classic game. Arkansas really got Rod Bo spiked the ball backwards. It should have been a fumble. They didn't call it. Auburn escapes Jordan Hare with a win. When I'm looking at this matchup, I trust Auburn's front seven to make a stop. Against Arkansas more than I trust Arkansas to slow down Auburn's rushing attack with Tank Bigsby. And you know, Tank was was a little bit banged up in recent weeks. He's started to look more similar to what I expected to see in the Georgia game. I'm expecting Tank Bigsby to be the MVP, make a play late, get Auburn into field goal range, and Daniel Car and not Daniel, Anders Carlson, make a late field goal for Auburn to pull off the upset. This is the first time I picked Auburn in probably two years on this podcast. I have Auburn pulling off the close upset 27-24 in Fayetteville. I think this one could go either way. I just trust the rushing at the, the running backs at Auburn more than I do Arkansas. And I think the front seven for Auburn can make a stop more so than that Arkansas front seven. They just haven't looked the same since that Georgia game. Ole Miss ran through them. Georgia did too. I trust Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Payton down the stretch. So Tigers 27, Razorbacks 24. Guys, like the video, subscribe to the channel now, hit that subscribe button right now, and go ahead and comment your score predictions below and comment your takeaways on the game. And I know I'm going to be covering both these teams soon. This is going to be a great game. I actually might be in Fayetteville this weekend. So if you see me there, say what's up, man. Looking forward to meeting any of the listeners on the show. But for right now, man, the Blue Bloods are out.